You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. My name's Chris. That's my buddy Dave on the other end of my nine-foot homemade bar in my basement on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool and join us at Socks in the Basement. Now, Dave has got his laptop. He's got notes. He missed last week's show. He didn't get to do the fallout after Manny Machado and the way that this organization completely struck out. And now with Nolan Arenado signed, now with all these other free agents that were hopefully going to hit the market next year, signing extensions because their teams realize it's better to sign the extensions and the players realizing they don't want to wait six months in free agency, it even looks worse. Plus, what happened after we didn't get Machado? Did we go get Marwan Gonzalez? Oh no, the Twins went and got him. He's only about 100 points better on the OPS than Yomer Sanchez, who play everywhere. Did we upgrade second base with Josh Harrison? Oh no, 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 another division rival, the Tigers, who are in a rebuild, still thought it was a good idea to go get Josh Harrison. That's interesting. Gio Gonzalez is still out there. We don't need him. Minor league contract for the very old and last year very injured Irvin Santana as he tries to just make the team as a fifth starter. They had seven days. That was the response they gave White Sox fans. That was plan B. You know, I think back to like our shows about the winter meetings and I said it was Machado or nothing. And at the time I laughed about it, but it really was Machado or nothing. You would have thought they would have come in at it like his actual asking price if that was the plan. Anyway, I got to move on from that. Baseball goes on. This team goes on. There are bigger problems than just one free agent signing that went bad. There are even bigger problems than an organization that has used all of its affiliate members, all of its paid broadcasters. I mean, Ed Farmer in the first game. We don't need Machado if he's too scared to come here. Really, Ed? Come on. I know they pay you, but don't say that kind of stuff. You sound ridiculous. Spring training is rolling along now. There are good things. Yuan Moncada looks sharp at the beginning. Hopefully that goes throughout the spring and continues forward. He may be the biggest part of this season. He may be the most important thing in this season. Eloy could stumble out of the gate and then get better. But if Moncada comes out and has another season like last season, put the brakes on this sucker because the rebuild's going to last a few extra years. But the young guys are looking good. You may be thinking about going to spring training. So before we get to Dave, we're going to talk to our first guest. Garage Joe, and that's what he wants to be known as, is a baseball insider. He's actually a baseball historian. He's worked with the Hall of Fame on restorations, and mainly he does that on White Sox memorabilia because he's a huge White Sox fan. He's been going to spring training forever. He knows people all throughout the organization. He's got this extensive memorabilia collection. And when you have your hands in so many pots, you get a cool nickname like Garage Joe. Joe, how are you? Terrific, uh, Chris. Really nice to be on your show. Thanks. First off, give me a little bit of background here. How long have you been going to spring training? Well, I'd be happy to share that with you, Chris. My wife and I have been going to spring training since the mid-80s. In fact, back in the 80s, the Sox trained in Sarasota, Florida, an old rickety ballpark called Payne Park. And I'll tell you what, it was the type of ballpark where it was just some uh, chain-link fence, some uh, high school-style benching. You'll love this, and your listeners will love this. Tickets were around 3 bucks each. 
when you first walked in in the morning, say to a uh, 11 o'clock gate opening, I'll never forget there would be a vendor standing there with a keg of beer and a 32-ounce uh, plastic uh, commemorative cup, 32 ounces of ice-cold beer, $3.50. And then once you took your seats for the ball game, there were a couple guys walking around with white pickle barrels full of ice and cans of beer, and they sold them for the uh, high price of a dollar a can. So that was a great way to start going. One of, one of my earliest highlights was uh, one of our first trips uh, down there, Don Drysdale was walking off the field because he would throw BP to the Sox back then. And I very simply approached him and said, good morning, Mr. Drysdale, kind of being a, a baseball historian. And I pulled out a baseball that I happened to have, and he took four or five minutes to chat it up with me and talk and sign the ball and excuse himself. And I just stood there and looked over at my wife, and I was hooked. I mean, holy cow, Don Drysdale, the beautiful son. So that's how we kind of got going. And then um, several years later, the White Sox uh, went down to Tucson, Arizona, but then 10, 12 years ago, the Sox made one of their best moves ever. They went to Glendale, Arizona, which is just a stone's throw uh, from Scottsdale. And I'll tell you what, that facility now in Glendale, we share it with the Dodgers. And Chris, I'll tell you what, it is fabulous. It seems really cool when you see the pictures, when you see some video online. It's one of those places I want to get down to. I have not been down to that facility, which kind of shows how long it's been since I've been to a spring training. So I don't know a lot about the new setup and the new location. So people might be thinking, I, I want to go down there this year. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and they're trying to make their plans or, you know, I'd like to go down there in the future. What's the good stuff right now out there. Can you give us any kind of insider tips, uh, uh, places to go, people to see time of the week that you might want to go. What do you got? I'll tell you what, I'd be happy to, if uh, the folks kind of uh, go online and look at a sock schedule, it's always best to kind of see when they've got two or three home games in a row. Uh, this way you can take in a couple games right in a row. You're not traveling so much across Arizona, but everything is pretty centrally located. Uh, fabulous week. We always try and go St. Patrick's week. Everyone's down there from Chicago. They're wearing of the green. Uh, the one thing I will tell your listeners is you can't get enough baseball down there. For instance, uh, I get up at 7 in the morning and then go for a nice long walk, but then I get out to the ballpark at around 5 to 9 in the morning. And what the Sox do a great job of is there's no fee for parking anytime, whether you go out there in the morning to watch practice or you go to the ball game. So that's important to know. No charge for parking. But I get out there around 5 to 9, and on the backfields, the Sox practice what would be behind the right field uh, portion of the main stadium. And you get out there, they open the gates at 9 o'clock, it's all free, and the two main fields are right there. And the players start coming out around 9, 10, 9, 20, and you can say hi, you can you know, give them a high five if you have kids with you. Uh, usually the players will hustle out there, but after around an hour and a half workout, around 10.30 they start heading in. And if you have kids, that's the time the ball players will stop and sign their hat or a baseball or whatever. And I'll tell you what, the players are really good about that, especially with kids. Uh, looking at the spring training schedule, if you look at St. Patrick's Day, it falls on a Sunday this year. But then on that Monday, you've got a home game with San Francisco. Then on the next day, Tuesday, they play in Cincinnati, but that's the town called Goodyear, and that's not 10, 12 minutes away uh, right uh, down the street. And then the next two days are right back at White Sox Park um, in Glendale uh, against Arizona and against Texas. So you'd have a great 
four games in four days and, and fly home on Thursday or so and have a long weekend with the family. So uh, uh, my wife and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, we've probably gone to spring training 30 of our 34 years of marriage. And I'll tell you what, it's the uh, first thing we do every year is kind of look at the calendar and pencil that weekend. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. What's the good place to maybe bump into a player? Are they accessible? Like, you know, we met at SaxFest, and the first thing I did was I said to myself, I'm not going to get in the way of the players. I don't want to be like one of those people standing outside the elevator, but I did bump into a few of my Kitty O'Shea's. I had a couple of, you know, two, three minute conversations with him. It was just kind of fun to interact, made sure I didn't overstay my welcome or talk to him for too long. Just kind of talked a little bit about the team. Are they accessible? I mean, they need their own free time. I'm not saying that they have to, to always be around all the fans, but is it something where you bump into them at certain places? Is there, it, do, will they talk with the fans afterwards or is it just like a quick autograph? Like, how does that work? Great question. I've always said if you bump into a ball player at a restaurant or bar, it's kind of a bonus to your trip. It's like, wow, how neat is that? And that's happened. In fact, back in the day when we went to Sarasota one year, we walked into an establishment and Billy Martin was sitting there with a couple of his coaches. So we went over and had a beer with Billy Martin. I mean, unbelievable. So those are kind of like the, the bonuses. But going back to White Sox and this year, what happens, I can't recommend enough getting out there earlier in the morning. The kids, especially if you've got little ones, they can run around while the you know practice is going on if mom or dad want to watch it a little more intensely. But as the players are walking back to their uh, uh, main uh, clubhouse area, they could not be more accessible. They'll stop. They'll take a picture with your little ones. Uh, and then if you don't have the uh, flexibility to get out there then, uh, on game day, uh, they co- they'll come into the park right around 1230. Or, yeah, 1230 for a 1 o'clock game, they'll start filtering in. And they'll come in a gate down the right field line. So you've got to figure the le- right field corner all the way to the dugout, which is on the uh, first base side, that's a good, what, 150-yard walk. I've... I can't remember a player not stopping with his duffel bag and bats and signing, you know, 50, 100 autographs for kids. And this is on a daily basis. Now, if that player's got a special chore or something to do, they're not going to do it every day. But that's where I would say if you want to get a picture with, you know, your favorite ball player or coach. And what I got in the habit of through the years was forging friendships. Uh, Before we got down there, I'd write a ball player a little note or so. Tell him how much you know we enjoyed something that he did, or his foundation, or something—an injury, wishing him well, or something like that. And as you go down there year after year, it's amazing how the friendships you forge. And all of a sudden, they would stop, and it's like, yeah, they don't remember your name, but it's like every year they see you, and next thing you know, they're stopping, and you know, how are the two of you, or how have you been, and stuff like that. So that's how I would recommend, you know, if you want to see a ball player, uh, and if you see him at a bar or restaurant at night, that's just, you know, that's just extra. Garage Joe, he is a huge White Sox fan, a big baseball fan. Uh, I love the tips. I, I think what I gather is get there early in the morning and that weekend of St. Patrick's Day into the rest of the week sounds like a prime time this year if you're going to go down to spring training. Joe, uh, I'd love to have you on in the future. I know you do stuff with the Hall of Fame. Uh, I know that you 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 know, you know hang around the Sox and, and have a lot of really interesting stories. With spring training starting, it just seemed like the perfect time to have you on the first time, but hopefully we'll have you on again soon. It will be my pleasure, and everyone's in first place at spring training. So spring does, uh, uh, spring is eternal. And Chris, I look real forward to being on your show in the near future. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Joe. Take care, Chris. Bye-bye now. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. All right, buddy. After we talked a little spring training, you want to talk about the organization today. 
I p- compiled a couple of statistics for you, and they're sitting right here in front of me. And I am going to, just as a preface to this, I am going to leave out the 2005 season when referencing this statistics, because it's pretty clear when I rattle these statistics off to you that the 2005 World Series season, God bless it, one of the best memories of my life, uh, we got hit by a bolt of lightning. Okay. I, I will because agree with that. This is this. It was we lucked into it. I mean, remember there was a there was a big and it's roster better, turnover, and it's, be, and it's better to be lucky than good. Right. Okay. But you know, but I'm going to leave that out, uh, working under the assumption that anybody can win the lottery, and that was just our year to win the lottery. Well, I, okay. First of all, so, before you continue on that, I do want to say there were good players on that team, and there were good moves made in the off season. Yes. Some of them were not what Kenny originally wanted to do, which is why I always bring that up. But the, he he did recognize that Carlos Lee was not what what Azeguian wanted. He did recognize that a guy like Jermaine Dye was more valuable than a Maglia or don't you see what I'm saying? There right. were so, some so, good things that got put together. But then again, these guys all a lot of them had career years all at the same time. Yeah, it was it was it was some good moves, but again, remember what Ozzy said. Better to be lucky than good. Okay. Right? Go okay. Ahead. So these stats are going to reach all the way back to the year nineteen ninety-five. That, by the way, White Sox fans, is the year after. Your owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, deprived you of, at very least, a playoff team. At best, better case, a team that goes to the World Series. At best case, a team that wins it. Okay? That was 1994. He was heavily was, involved in that strike. It was him and Bud Selick. Okay? That's on him. Okay? He failed you, White Sox fans. That is an organizational failure. Number of winning seasons in 25 years. That's above 82 wins. Okay. Nine. Nine winning seasons total, okay? Number of 90-win seasons, two. Number of playoff appearances, two. Number of playoff game wins, not series wins, playoff game wins, one. So this is not including 2005. Not including 2005, because we're assuming that 2005 was... That one year, the one shining moment... But right. take, the, take the other 20-some years. Take the general body of work here, okay? okay? And, and just leave that out, assuming it's luck, all right? And that's what you get. It's not good enough. I'm sorry. It should not be good. En- it's not good enough for me. It shouldn't be good enough for you, Chris. And Sox fans, guess what? That shouldn't be good enough for you well, either. Well, I think, I think okay? what happened was is that it wasn't good enough for White Sox fans, and then they won the World Series, and then we said all was forgiven. But then we went back to being that. And I think that's Immediately the thing. After. And I think that there's still a split in the fan base where half the fan base is still saying, well, they want us a World Series, so they're good for life. So let's talk the about... Other, the other half of the fan base is like, this is getting ridiculous. There are three things that successful businesses do that the White Sox do not. And I think you're pretty much going to agree with me on all uh, on all points. And you can talk about successful businesses, me being a dude who's got a couple of part-time employees in a little corner music store in Payless Heights, or you could talk about multi-billion dollar organizations, sports or not. They do these three things, all right? And I'll be, I'll try to be as quick as I can. Number one, all right, hire people who know how to do their jobs and have done their jobs to some degree of success before, it's a it's 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 a culture of people who don't know what they're doing. It's based off of whether or not you work there is based off of activity, not accomplishment. And you never confuse activity with accomplishment in business. Now, I'm going to keep going. All right. Number two. All right. You know what? Sometimes you got to spend some money. Sometimes you got to get creative in the way that you spend your money. And sometimes, you know what? You've got to take a gamble on the money that you spend and 
with the gamble that it's going to work out. All right. And here we go with the, this is the only time I'm going to say this. This is where the fact that they tried to bargain shop for Manny Machado comes in. You knew what the price was. You knew what he wanted. You tried to, you tried to screw around with him on his contract. You tried to bargain hunt with him and he, and, and you got burned. Okay. Sometimes you can't go bargain hunting when it comes to your business. You have to I spend cer- money to make money. I certainly don't, right? If my music school needs something, I'm going to spend the money. If there's something that's going to make my music school better than all my competitors that are within that are around me, you bet I'm going to do it. And I'm going to if the money's not there, guess what? I'm going to find a way creatively to make it there. Uh, there's a great book called Scorecasting. It kind of looks inside of all major sports. Like, is there such a thing as home field advantage? Uh, do umpires tend to be afraid to call the fourth ball on, an, on a 3-0 count? I've heard of or, this. Or call, call strike three on an 0-2 count? It shows data that shows they become highly inaccurate in those situations. Yes. Are, NFL, are NBA referees influenced by the crowd? There's all kinds of things in there. And they have a section talking about how teams in Major League Baseball operate. And they broke down how successful the team is and how it influences if the fans show up and if the team makes money. And there were two teams that they broke down scientifically saying that these teams need to spend money to make money. And if they spend money, their fans show up and they do well, their fans show up. But if they don't do well, they don't have fans and they lose money. The first team is the New York Yankees, Mm -hmm. which explains that they understand the model, that somebody figured out the model, and they applauded them for it. They were like, this is the most fickle fan base in all of Major League Baseball is the New York Yankees. And if they don't have a winner, they go, forget you, I'm not spending my money, right? The second most fickle fan base that you need to spend money, and they pointed it out over decades of data, are the Chicago White Sox. Yes. And they said in the book... They don't seem to get that you have to do this. They could have the same kind of organization as the Yankees. If they went and they spent the money, their fans would show up. And this was a third party that analyzed all 32 Major League Baseball teams. You can go find a book. It's called Scorecasting. It's it's really interesting. It also has a very interesting footnote about the Northside team explaining that their ticket sales only go down when they raise the prices of beer and not the prices of tickets. That's now, that's funny. free them going that's to the World funny. Series, that's but funny. that was in the book as well. But now, go ahead. Last thing, all right, and then, we're, and then I'm going to put a bow on this. Now, this is, Chris, the most important of the three, all right? So I want you to listen very carefully because you are just now starting your own business, right? Congratulations to you on that. All right. Thank you. Mr. Reinsdorf, I really hope you are listening right now because this is the most important thing He's that not. is Somebody's missing keeping him away from, from your They're team. They're keeping him away from this. The word is accountability. When one of your employees screws up or continuously screws up, or when you continue to have organizational failures like this, You have to make the tough choice to relieve them of their jobs. I know it is not pleasant. I have had to do it at my at my business and it isn't fun. But you know what? This is what successful businesses do. More importantly, everything starts at the top. When you listen to CEOs of major companies that have failures like this, their CEOs will come out and say, you know what? This is on me. The buck stops here. The thing that infuriates me about all of this, all right, is that the model for success 
is right here in your own hometown. All you got to do is go 35 blocks north and 19 blocks west to where the Chicago Blackhawks play and look at what they have been able to do over the past 10 years. They took a team that was worst every single year, not in hockey, but the worst franchise in professional sports every year as ranked by ESPN. And they were able to, in the span of a decade, turn it into a dynasty that now leads the NHL in profitability, that now leads the NHL in attendance every year. And second place isn't even close, by the way. And you know what? It's also the same way with the other teams. You got a new owner that came into the Cubs. There was accountability. People were fired. Yeah. People and you were know, hired. And you know you what got, Ricketts you got, did? And you know what Ricketts did? Right. You know what he did? He called. He got. He got. He got John. You know, the Blackhawks got people who knew how to do Went their and jobs. Found a guy that knew what he was doing. And we're and, proving it. And Ricketts. Ricketts did the same thing. He called up the Black. He called up Rocky. And he's like, "How did you do it?" Right. Next thing you know, the Cubs have Theo freaking Epstein as their GM. And, and all right. It, and you know what else? You know who else is doing it, Chris? The Bears. The Chicago Bears. Because you know what? They're doing the same exact thing. They may the fire Mc- a new general manager every couple of years, but they kept doing it until they found the guy who figured the it McCaskey out. The McCaskey family, between the seventy-five kids and grandkids and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews and godchildren, you know, who who between the seventy-five of them maybe have seen a picture of a football one time. They even know, and they said they called Rocky Words and they said, "How did you guys do it?" It, all right. And so a couple of years later, they're one double dink and doinked field goal post away from who knows what. Oh, they would have beaten the Rams if, next. They could have they could have made a serious run and they're going to come back this year. Good. Yes, they and they are. built a team. And you know what they did to build that team? They did the thing that the White Sox didn't do after they lost Machado. The White Sox, after they don't get end up with Machado, could have gone out and gotten some guys that were at least better than the guys that they currently had and start building just little by little. Because if you're not going to go out and get these major guys, that's what you have to do. And the Sox look shell-shocked. I want to talk about that because here's remember what I said earlier about how this all th- this whole thing starts at the top, all right? When you look at the Chicago Blackhawks, when they screw up, and they have screwed up, right, they will hold a press conference Every single time they either get out of the playoffs early or they don't exceed expectations. And you will have Rocky Wirtz, John McDonough, Jay Blunk, Stan Bowman. You'll have the whole brain trust sitting right there in front of a press firing squad. And the thing that they keep saying is, you know what? This is on us. This is on me. We have to get better. The Bears do it. The Cubs do it. Right, Han essentially well, said, Han it, said it, but he has to he has to get, he has to wait for the other guy yep. to go get out of the yep. way. Yep. And they both yep. and, and and the other guy contradicts him. There's a big rumor that Dan McNeil was told by the White Sox that he could not talk to Rick Han after that happened right. because they don't want a guy on that's going to get angry and and pick on him. And he just yelled at John Paxton on the radio like a week earlier. Good. So that's that. I mean, so the the, the organization has basically put like a black mark over his name, and he's not going to get anybody. So he goes on with Lawrence Holmes. I love Lawrence Holmes. I think he's the best thing on that station. Yes. Lawrence understood that going into the interview. I could tell as somebody who has interviewed people over 20 years, he understood that. And he asked questions of Rick Hahn that would get answers without sounding combative. And you got Rick contradicting Kenny. Yes. You got Rick sitting there saying, there is no limit on what we can spend. This is just the player we weren't allowed to spend on. Like, like, And he's trying to get through the thing, but he's expressing his disappointment. I hear a man in Rick Hahn that walks out of meetings with his boss and goes, I, I, I just wish this guy would retire. I wish that they'd get rid of him. This is the thing, White Sox fans. It's a real thing that's going to happen. If this rebuild doesn't work out, or if Rick Hahn continues to get hamstrung by his boss, Kenny, Kenny Williams, Williams, and the owner, Jerry Reinstorf. At some point, 
Rick Hahn is going to leave, and many teams are going to want him. And meanwhile, nobody wants Kenny. And there's a no, reason for that. There is a if reason. If Kenny got fired tomorrow, he wouldn't be a scout. No. Honestly, he wouldn't be a scout. No. Or he'd be a scout, but he'd be in some, some territory where nobody had to really talk to him that much. No. That, that would be it. To put, to put a bow on this, all right, because I know you got stuff you want to talk about, and I'm, you know, whatever, I'm just the, the enhancement talent. I am glad to hear, I am glad to hear why. I am glad to hear, Chris, that it has been scientifically proven that White Sox fans are fickle. Because you know what? If this isn't good enough for you, which it shouldn't be, I'm real happy to hear that it's been scientifically proven that White Sox fans speak with their wallets. Because what? maybe if you hit maybe, maybe if you hit Jerry Reinsdorf hard enough in the only place he apparently feels anything, then maybe you might spur some real change around here. here here's another interesting thing that'll tell you that the White Sox are an organizational failure. And somebody's going to scoff and they'll be like, ah, oh, social media with the Facebook and the tweeting and the whatever. But no, let me explain this to you. I, I get it. Okay. Facebook has released on multiple occasions just a map of, by county by county, they've done this map. County by county, a big United States map showing the fan bases of all 32 Major League Baseball teams. Will County and the most popular county, Cook County, are majority White Sox fans, at least according to Facebook, based upon their post and based upon what their likes are when they're, when they're liking team pages. Okay. So what you have is the most populous downtown, the city of Chicago, basically. You have enough White Sox fans that they outdo the Cub fans in those studies in that county and then also in Will. They're the only two counties that come up White Sox on the entire map. Right. But those are centralized counties. You have them, but you can't fill your ballpark. There's, there's a lot of the onus that has to be put on the organization. And I think, and, and you know what, there are people are sitting there going, this is just one guy. And I'm, I'm going to say this. We said it months ago, because I've always prided us on this podcast saying, this is what I think the team is going to do based upon what they're saying, instead of us saying this is what they should do. Like, we'll say what they should do, but then I'll say this is what they're going to do. Like, in the winter meetings, I said, this is Machado or bust. You could hear by Rick Hines comments it's Machado or bust. Yes. They're not going after anybody else. And yes. if they don't get Machado, it's going to be a repeat of last year with Eloy coming up, Cease eventually, possibly like somebody like a Basabi, get a cup of coffee in September or something like or that. Madrigal, and, yeah. Right, exactly. And then and they, and they went out and they got their bullpen because they feel like they lost 15 games last year after the sixth inning, and if they would have had a bullpen, they would have won at least 10 of them. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And so they want to they, they see some improvement, don't want to lose 100 games, but they're probably going to lose 85 to 90 games. Sure. And that's what's going to happen if they don't get him. Now, we could yell like we're blue in the face every week that it should be different, and it should be. But that's what the organization is doing. And we predicted that's what they were doing in, in, in December. And then after they don't get Machado, they fulfilled the prophecy of this show. All I hear from the White Sox organization when crap like this happens are excuses. And that's not how a successful business runs. They admit fault, they take the mea culpa, and they find solutions to fix their problems. Well, they're never end of end of end of story, period, paragraph, done. Hey, this is Acoustic Mike from Broadcast Basement, and you're listening to Socks in the Basement with Chris and his buddy Dave. I did the broadcast basement with Chris for 10 years, and nobody gave me a show. 
I'd leave if I had anything else to do with my life. Remember, the Broadcast Basement is available everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BroadcastBasement.com. Urban Santana, good or bad signing? Horrible. I think he actually could be good, and I think he could actually win the fifth starter job. Before he hurt his hand, he was on my fantasy baseball team, and he 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 pitched really well even at that advanced age. And then he had a problem with his hand, and he couldn't grip the ball. And that was I knew that because I was reading reports on him because I'm in a very intense fantasy baseball league. And he comes back to spring training, and he's saying that same thing, and that he could grip the ball now, and he feels good. I think he has a slow start because he got to spring training late. But I think he, he could be the only at least he's a stopgap. The only solace. If Manny Benuelos doesn't win the job, he'll be, he'll be the fifth star. The only solace that I take in this is that you know Don Cooper has Don Cooper has a very good track record. Again, right? Look at his body of work. Right? It, 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 it's not he's not here because he's an ex White no, Sox. He's, he's here because he's, he's, the, he's, he's here, here because he's good. great at his job. He's here because right? he's good at his job. Don, this this could be another Don Cooper reclamation project that's good for like half a season before he goes away. But he'll, you might but, get some serviceable stuff. But if out anybody of him. could help him, it'll be Don Cooper. Right. I look at Rick Hahn's plan, and if you look at it from the perspective of here's a guy who knows that the team should be doing it differently, but I'm hamstrung. He did rebuild the right way. Yes. If you look and at he it, he still is rebuilding the right way. It, if, and I'm going to give him all the credit in the world here. And I know there are Rick Hahn detractors out there. But if you are hamstrung by your boss, like the two of us think he is, and you're hamstrung by the, the guy who's sitting above you, who keeps saying, I'm not the GM, but I felt like I had to drive out here and talk to the media first. God, you know What an egomaniac. He is an egomaniac, and he's always going to be an egomaniac, and he's always going to be that. It's what he is. And he thinks he's a superstar, and he thinks he's the greatest thing in the world, but he's never going to change the perspective of smart fans who look at him and go, this is ridiculous how this guy acts. But if you look at it from that perspective, Han said, there's no way that my team's going to go out and sign big-time pitching when the time comes. So I have to stock my farm system because I'm going to have to find it in-house mm-hmm. when I do my rebuild. I can't rebuild like the Cubs did. I got to rebuild this way. You see what I'm saying? Yes. There's no way that I'm going to get these certain premier players. I have to double stack things. There, there are certain things that he's done with the idea, I think, in the back of his mind of the luckiest thing that could happen to me if he just agrees to one big deal. See, that's what Han's thinking. I might get one big deal. Right. And and I listened to Kenny Williams talk about how he was crushed and he's wearing his sunglasses. But you know what? Unfortunately, Kenny, you were in the sun and there were cameras. And when you turned, your eyes didn't look sad at all. I could see through the sunglasses. You, you look like somebody was just full of it. But then I watched Rick Hahn talk. Who unfortunately, it's like he has to be available to the media because it's like a GM day down there. And he looks upset, but he also looks beaten. Remember what? Rick and he doesn't look beaten because he lost to Machado. You don't hear him blaming Manny Machado. He's the only one in the organization not blaming. Right, right, because, exactly. But he can't say who he's blaming because no, they employ because him. his boss. They, they employ, employ him. him. Rick Hahn said it. Rick Hahn said it at Soxfest. He said, "I and I quote: I will be personally devastated." I think was the word. He's like, "I would be. I would." I, he said something. I will take it personally if we don't get either of these. And guys. I think we read this as. He would be upset because we offered him a bunch of money and he didn't take it, right? Or the agent did something. No, but, but what Rick Hahn was trying to tell us at Soxfest is what he meant I, was I will be very upset because I don't think my team's going to pay this guy. And right. that's that's what Rick Hahn was really saying. Okay, 
That's what I believe. Rick Kahn was really telling us at SoxFest, I don't believe my team is going to pay this guy. And I'm going to be very upset if we don't get him. And I really want him, and I think he's the best guy for our team. And I can't get him. Like I said, you you know, you 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 had your platform, you know, where I wasn't here, and and I just felt like, you know, <laughs> I no, I'm serious. I needed to. I know you needed. I needed this. to. Br- I did no, this for I you. needed to bring this up because I did this for you. because again, I didn't I, even before the Machado thing happened. I didn't want to sit here and talk about Machado. I certainly don't want to talk about it now. But there is there is a much larger problem here that I I just felt needed to be addressed. So, you know, do with it as you will. Another show is wrapped up. Another show's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. And then by the looks, it's going to be a good one. And we'll see you next week. And the nude is basement. And the nude is basement. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. And it's in the books. Another show is wrapped up, another show is wrapped up, and by the looks, it's gonna be a good one. Nudie's Basement, broadcast, basement, the Nudie's Basement, the Broad Basement. Slancha. That was like Dropkick Murphys or something, right? I felt like it. Socks in the Basement. <laughs> Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.